My name is Chris. I'm Andy. And I'm Steve. And this, as you know, is Streaming Things. Streaming Things. Four stars. <laughs> it's been so long since we've been together. A full week, gentlemen. <laughs> full week has passed in real time. <laughs> I have missed you. <laughs> How has life been? It's been good. Missed Chris, you guys so much. Chris has this insane smile on his face because he knows we just finished pre-recording a different episode. <laughs> yeah, we're real pieces of shit lying to you folks like this. Recording from the past. It's our very own. This show is much like a Christopher Nolan film. We play with time a lot. Oh, I just thought of something. Andrew? Chris, Chris the next time we sit down to record together, you're going to be a married man. That's very true. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited about that. And it's exciting. I'm excited to wear this ring that I'm not wearing. I don't know why I said this. Where is it? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't actually You're, gotten it yet. You I'm get coming. it out of the wedding day. I'm a little concerned. You just show up and they're like, here's your rings? The jeweler assured me it would be on time and it, uh, it's getting scary. What? Uh, so we're just, you know, a little over a week. It's out. a week today. A week, a week today. It's out. a week from today. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts, my man? On marriage? The unity of man and... Not necessarily the either man or woman or non-binary. Yeah. The concept of a union, person in person. <laughs> um, I'm very excited. I, honestly, I'm a little nervous about the wedding itself. I'm not really that excited about it. Like, I'm sure it'll be fun, but you know, anyone who's been married, as Steve, I'm sure you know, is a lot of tiny details. I really don't give a fuck about being mm-hmm. asked of me constantly. Yeah, and stress and money, and uh, but being married to Carissa is extremely exciting. I, I can't wait to say, you know. Hold on, my wife's calling, you know. <laughs> I say that sometimes now and it's a lie, you know. There's no government contract to prove that. So it's a fraud, really. They look at your taxes and they're like, wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You mean fiance? <laughs> <laughs> you fraud? What the member of the, I- of the IRS was like, it's a fiance. <laughs> you are cheating us out of money. Precisely. Um, no, man. Be sure, as a, as a married man myself, I've got some uh, advice for you that I'm sure you want. Then, <laughs> yes, please. No, no, really. The only advice I have for you is just have fun on your wedding. You know, on the night itself. Yeah, on the night itself. Like you know, just recognize like whatever goes wrong at the end of the day, you two are going to be married. So just take time for both of you guys to kind of just sit back and enjoy. And also, and this is the actual real advice: make sure you guys eat food. Mm. Only because, like, I know too many people who have got married and they like ch- skip out on the actual dinner part. Yeah, they're going off and you know doing the greetings, entertaining. You know, eat your food. Yeah, get <laughs> super hungry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm imagining that I'll be super hungry. And we got a cake from the Bonbonnery. I don't know if you ever had a cake from there. Yes, I'm actually really excited about that cake. Like, I know most people like, oh, it's the cake you guys enjoy. I'm like, no, fuck you. Ten o'clock. <laughs> cake. Yeah, that's right. I'm definitely gonna eat the cake at ten o'clock. <laughs> Can you spoil uh, spoil it for us? What the flavor is? It is opera cream. Oh, that's a Cincinnati favorite. It is wonderful, delightful, delectable. Uh, if you've never listened to the show before, uh, this is what we do. We talk about marriage, love, um, what's marriage, different cakes. Uh, <laughs> that's not true at all. We uh, we usually talk about Stranger Things. We have for years, and we've uh, delved out into the minds of Moria of other content. It was a Lord of the Rings reference. It's a deep cut. We go to the mines. <laughs> it was they a reference call it to a mine. <laughs> a mine. So be it. <laughs> Let's just quote Lord of the Rings throughout the the entirety of this episode. The dwarves delve too deeply. <laughs> take one more step. Actually, it's It'll funny. Away from I, I watched Fellowship of Rings last weekend. Actually, hell yes. Was it an extended version? 
Is there I'm actually waiting. Oh, so Carissa has never seen Lord of the Rings. Wow. And uh, I have been wanting to embark on that journey there and back again, if you will, with her. And nice. I, I recently discovered that they are issuing a 4K version of Lord of the Rings. I think those went into theaters last weekend. If you were a person who braved movie theaters, I think they had the Lord of the Rings 4K versions in theaters. I am not. So, but I'm waiting for the blue. I think it's like a year out from the purchasable Blu-ray writer. Yeah. So it's coming, coming up shortly. I thought maybe I should wait on those and just fucking ball out, ball out. You know what I'm saying? But I'm very excited about that. I'm excited. When, when you guys sit down to watch Lord of the Rings together, I really want to hear the story of what she thinks about it. I mean, as someone who's never such a seminal part of my life. I'm excited to share that with her. I wonder what she's going to think. I'm not sure. Are you going to watch the hobbits? The Hobbits? Oh, uh, don't no. ruin it. No. no. I'm not a fan of that, the Hobbit tr- trilogy. Maybe the cartoon. Oh, the yeah. of the night. Lammy wanks, lammy wanks. <laughs> it's a good song, Andy. Oh, yeah. Share it with us. Well, actually, um, I guess that'd be Lord of the Rings, wouldn't it? Old Toby, finest weed in South Farthing. <laughs> I love the part in the extended version of Return of the King when Aragorn becomes Irish randomly. Because, you know, Aragorn is like, uh, I'm, he has, you know, he talks. I think, and then in the extended edition, when he go right before he talks to the mouth of Sauron, he's like, well, the Lord of the Black Gate. From <laughs> yeah. like, Where did that accent come from? Brendan Gleeson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Lord of the Rings talk. Vigo went there, dude. That's awesome. I, dude. We should do a deep dive of the, of the trilogy one day. I, I would be into that. Yeah. For sure. If so you are down for that, such a fan, email streamingthingspod at gmail.com and let us know. Just say, I am down. And we'll hopefully remember why we asked you to say that. Dope. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're down. Steve, I used to be such weird. a nerd that I would sit there in class and type out the script to the Lord of the Rings on my calculator. Just go into the notes and be a graphing like, calculator. Oh, okay. I was like, how are you doing that? Yeah, I, yeah. I, only, yeah. Know I only knew Steve's how to write. Like, he was like, mine just said boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I can write boobs. I can't write Silmarillion. Uh, so yeah, on today's episode, believe it or not, we are going to do something. We're going to talk about adaptation. So this is kind of relevant. We're going to talk about adaptations, um, kind of an intellectual discussion and as intellectual as we can get on uh, what makes a good ad- adaptation, how to do it well, things, you know, ones that we we felt honored their source material well or you know whether the book was better blah 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 we're gonna do a little riffing on that book to film adaptations right correct okay i thought um, for a second i didn't want people to think like the nicholas cage movie adaptation <laughs> no <laughs> no good, good thank you steve because i'm sure many people went there and now there's we're, pu- we're pulling them back there's that one person who's like oh god damn it i really wanted that i love adaptation <laughs> nick cage is the guy yes movie though for real yes Uh, And then we're going to do a little crossing streams starting us off. So if you're new to the show, crossing streams is exactly what it sounds like. It's us sharing the things that we've been streaming recently with one another. If you thought it had something to do with Ghostbusters, get out of here with that shit. Yeah. Or nothing to do with that. Public urinals. Also nothing to do with that. Well, I I have to pee later. So maybe a little something out of that later. Andy, start us off. What have you been streaming? (laughs) Uh, So I watched a movie that I've been meaning to watch for a long time. And it just kept escaping me. And for some reason, I never got around to it. And finally, the other day, I did. I watched Jojo Rabbit the other day. (gasps) I love that movie. Dude, it's so good. It is so good. Yeah. Like, And I knew it was going to be good. 
I, I, I saw the trailer. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I, 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 it's Taika Waititi. And it's got Scar Joe. And it's got dude Steve, Steve Sam Merchant. Rockwell. His name is Steve. He's one of oh, my yeah. favorite actors. Sam I couldn't think of his name. Uh, it's got it's, Theon Greyjoy. I don't know that actor's name. Alfie Allen. Alfie Allen, yes. Um, it's got other people. Uh, it's really good, dude. It is so good. Uh, I cried yeah. so much. Like a bitch. So many times. <laughs> You were on an uh, airplane. I was on an airplane. Which is not the ideal way to watch any film for the first time, but I'm proud of you. It is not. We're finally popping it. I uh, I bawled my eyes out on an airplane watching two little kids start to dance. I know that scene at the end. It's the they start doing that dance. So good. Crushes you in the best way. Yeah, there's a there's a scene in that movie that has to deal with shoes that crushes me every time. Dude, oh the goodness. framing of that scene yeah. is so I feel like it's unfair young. because of the tone of the rest of the film. You know, being how so, hard it hits you being so yeah. Taika Waititi esque. You know, you're like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, uh, it, like the the movie has such frivolity to yeah. it, even though there's yeah. Nazis and shit, and a kid literally like gets blown up by a grenade, and then it's played for laughs. Yes, you know? it, that's what I'm. Yes, <laughs> but then this <laughs> this like yeah, the scene with a kid getting blown up by a grenade is played for laughs, but then this scene with shoes is just devastating yeah it, it was uh yeah I, I cried many times throughout you know what reminded me a lot of was uh moonrise kingdom mm, and yeah. it is straight up moonrise kingdom mm-hmm. except that instead of it being boy scout camp it's nazi camp mm-hmm. um and you love moonrise kingdom i do love moonrise kingdom it is uh my number two i think uh, uh hitler youth is only different to uh, Boy Scouts and that there's no anti-Semitism in Boy Scouts. <laughs> Other than that, they're probably pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Shit, dude. I, I I don't know what to say, honestly. Just like that that movie wrecked me in a way. Like I knew it was go- I was going to enjoy it. I did not know that I was going to love it. And goddamn, I love that movie. Yeah, it was definitely one of my favorite movies of that year. What year was it? It was like two years ago or something. I remember the kid got nominated it was, it was the same for year as Knives actor, Out, right? It was the same year as Knives Out. Oh, okay. Whichever year that was. Uh, it was 2019? Yes. Yeah. Um, kid that played uh, JoJo uh, got nominated for an Oscar, I think, that year. Um, so his, his, JoJo's friend, the little kid, the kind of a tubbier kid that's mm-hmm. his best friend, I, I am convinced that that is just Nick Frost. <laughs> that they as a child that, that they like did, did they Disney de-aged de-aging. him yeah because that kid is just, he looks so much like nick frost and acts like him and they run up and hug each other every time they yeah, see each other it's dude, super it's... cute jojo <laughs> <laughs> i love it i'm gonna watch it's it again a bad time to be a nazi <laughs> <laughs> certainly is and then yeah. sam rockwell's character in that movie is also oh, sam rockwell yeah. has got to be in my top five anythings mm-hmm. i love him so much He's such a good actor. And he broke my heart in that movie, too. And the costume design in it is fantastic. Every character... I love it when a movie, uh, they make every character unique. And there's just something about them, either the way they look, what they do, what they say, what they wear, something that makes them unique. There, There wasn't a person in that movie that you didn't... There isn't something iconic about them. And I, and I love it when a movie does that. Um for him, it was a bunch of things, but uh, the eye was one. And dude, his outfit, like at the end, you see like his design for. And, and I thought it was, it was like a throwaway thing. Well, it was just my idea for you know an outfit for an officer. And then you see him wearing the thing, and then Alfie Allen behind him with the cape and stuff. I was like, this is, <laughs> God, I love this movie. 
So good. But yeah, uh, Jojo Rabbit. Highly recommend it. Steve, All what right. have you been streaming? Uh, well, I, I mentioned I stream area. We watched Fellowship of the Ring extended edition. Um, the thing I did stream that's different was I started watching a show. I'm only two episodes into it, but it's an HBO series. You can stream it on HBO Max. Uh, it's called Raised by Wolves. Uh, it's directed by oh, Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. I was, I was like, it's a really good director, and I can't remember who. Yeah. Um, so, do that movie. I, I really like the pilot, but I, I just had no interest in finishing it. It's a weird-ass show. Yeah. Man. So weird. Yeah. Um, it makes, um, what's the alien offshoot? Prometheus. It makes Prometheus seem like a just a popcorn film. Y- yeah. Like, <laughs> Ridley Scott has this weird obsession with, throwing in religion into his sci-fi and i think raised by wolves is like him just like have you guys not understood yet this is my thing <laughs> watch my jesus character fly around all the bad guys will be wearing spacesuits that look like knights templars outfits because subtlety is not the point <laughs> right right but uh uh the the, the pilot episode i was kind of like it was weird it reminded me so in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of like sci-fi that took itself very seriously, and they're always like odd and bizarre and weird, and like there's something counterculture to a lot of them, um, and that's why I like a lot of the weird sci-fi of those time of that time, and I can see that in the pilot, especially of Raised by Wolves. But there's also something about it. Where I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm really liking this. Um, I'm not really feeling the story. And then it got super hard into like, we're atheists and we hate everybody who aren't <laughs> like us. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of a strange thing. And then the second episode added another wrinkle into the things where like this one character that you're introduced in the first episode isn't really that character. He just stole that person's face. And I'm like, okay, you're getting really into the weeds. I'm like, let's pick a theme here. <laughs> um, and, and so like, I'm at that point where I've watched the show. I don't know if I will continue watching it, but I respect the craft of it. No, I get it. Because it, it, it is a really good-looking show. It's it's going for something. It's very ambitious. Um, I do like the the interpersonal play between the uh, the two Android characters, mother and father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like... <laughs> I don't want to spoil the, the the end of the of the first episode, but the ending of the first episode is like, what the shit is yeah. that? That is one of the most gory endings to a show I've ever seen. I had the same experience. I watched the pilot and I was like, wow, that was a phenomenal achievement. Wow, holy shit. And then like the TV algorithms like play episode two. And I was like, no, definitely not. <laughs> well, wow. You know? <laughs> It's yeah. always sunny. All right. I, I think I fell off after like episode four. Um, but yeah, dude, it goes places for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, I, my problem with it was that I, I didn't feel like I've rooted for anybody. Yeah. And that is, uh, it, and I continued to feel that way as the show went on. And mm-hmm. so it's hard to care. It's hard when you have a show where none of the the main cast of characters are people you generally want to root for. I mm-hmm. guess the one you can, I, I assume, and I mean, you've seen more episodes than I have, Andy, but like I assume the character you're supposed to mostly root for or get behind is the boy. Sure, yeah. Is the is the young boy that they're taking care of. But like child actors do like always have that kind of weird tightrope situation where like it's a young kid and young kids can sometimes come off as really annoying mm-hmm. in film and 
I'm not saying that that character is that, but I'm, I can see where he could easily dip into that type of characterization depending on how he's being directed. Not saying, not saying that actor's bad. He's actually, I think, pretty good. And it's also just by virtue of the character arc that they designed for him. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. if you're going to have the child actor play a, I'm rebelling against all the things that I ever knew growing up, it, it's hard not to have that be annoying. Yeah. You know, if, I, I, and it's maybe it's kind of one of those things like uh, Catcher in the Rye. You know, if you read that when you're 10, uh, you identify with Holden. You <laughs> Holden read that Caulfield's when, so cool. When you read that when you're 30, you're like, God damn, fuck that kid. That kid sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe it's that way for that character. I, I don't know. But then you have to ask yourself, who is the audience for this show? You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, it was just, it was just, and it's, you know, if you're into weird yeah, sci-fi like that listener you know maybe check it out but if not i would definitely if you're like one of those people who like i i like mandalorian that's my science fiction <laughs> don't watch raised by wolves because <laughs> you're gonna be like okay that i can't sleep now <laughs> chris what have you been streaming what have i been streaming um i can tell you what i have not been streaming that will answer the question mm more to the point um so for my bachelor party because i'm super cool and i wanted to have something just uber awesome what we ended up doing is flying to phoenix and uh we hiked around the desert in sedona which is beautiful but the big main event of my bachelor party to celebrate me leaving singledom forever is we rented out the alamo draft house movie theater and saw Mad Max Fury Road. Awesome. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about that experience. Um, I know we don't have that much time on this episode, but it was really special to me. Uh, I've, I don't know if have you ever been to an Alamo draft house? No, I've always wanted to go. It's one of my biggest like bucket list things. And I never got to go last time I was in Austin. And I haven't been to a movie theater at all since the pandemic started. So uh, we rented it out. So it was super safe because it was just us. And we're all in a bubble together anyway. Uh, and Mad Max Fury Road, Andy presented me with this giant list of films that were available. And I was like, definitely Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, I've seen it 10 times, but it's been it's a great I only saw it in the theater once. <laughs> Holy shit, was it worth it? Like, dude, the sound in that theater was so they have good. a phenomenal setup, a beautiful wow. picture. The sound, the sound was incredible. And the sound was good too. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking food was delicious. So they have this setup where it's uh, two chairs and like a little kitchenette table attached to each chair pairing, a chairing, if you will. Mm. Uh, and they have almost like a waiter usher. And so if you want to order something, because I don't know for listeners that don't know about the Alamo draft house, it's a, it's a, a famous like movie elitist theater in America where they will literally beat your ass and throw you out for like looking at your phone or talking and things like that. They're very serious about it. So it's a film lover's, uh, theater and so but they have an usher that'll come in and you can write your food order on this piece of paper and they have like this little light mounted really low where you can write and then sit the piece of paper up on the like edge of the table standing up and they'll know that that's the signal and they'll come like sneak in like little minions and grab it and then drop off food later um, <laughs> and uh but we ordered like fried pickles and uh 
buffalo fried cauliflower because my Ooh, buddy's a vegetarian. Yummy. It was so good. That sounds so good. Um, even the popcorn was phenomenal because sometimes yeah. you can get shitty popcorn. I'm sure you know, as you know, uh, ex theater purveyor, so. right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and really good burgers named after films. We, you know, a lot of us had the Royale with cheese, um, not after films, but after things in films. Um, but yeah, I just really loved that experience. So good to be in a movie theater, and I had forgotten how that felt just the just sound so booming that it, you can feel it in your chest. You know what I mean? Especially Mad Max Fury Road. Um, it was awesome. Really, really good time. Good time. It's a good bachelor Man, party. I wish I could just have you describe events like that. Cause that I was, I was, I'm getting goosebumps over here. Like, tell me more about the sound talking about the sound. <laughs> I mean, I'm so good with words. How could you not be moved? What did the usher do when he took your order? <laughs> oh, he crept in. <laughs> They were so sweet. And we got all this merch. I, uh, so Andy and I, I think we got the same stuff, right? Uh, I, I only ended up getting the hoodie. I Well, I got a couple of glasses. I, I got this. Uh, uh, I got this. Wait, they sell their own merch? Like get the Alamo Draft House? Yeah, so like I got an Alamo Draft House t-shirt. I don't know why it touched my chest. Like you don't know where t-shirts go. They go there? <laughs> um, and uh, Birth Movies Death hoodie. Uh, so very excited about that. I got this uh, glass, like drinking glass that was, uh, and I recognized it from the, from afar and I'm really proud of myself for it. It was a South Park movie. Yeah, that was impressive. It was a flag that said La Resistance La on Resistance. it. I was like, is that a South Park cup? Because yeah. it didn't have any Comedy Central or South Park insignia. It was, and it was a good 15 <laughs> feet <Fima> away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shit, like, shit, fucking guard dog shit. <laughs> Now she fades. No, uh, so I, I was, I was like, I have to buy that. Uh, that's so cool. And then I also got these two Star Wars glasses. Like I got the light side and the dark side. They were like, uh, oh nice. Uh, oh, you bought those? I did. Yeah. So I, that's I, funny story. We talked about last week in an audience time. Uh, my my buddy Brad, that is, uh, I don't know what you call it, a Star Wars purist uh, that doesn't like the the new trilogy, hates Ryan Johnson, one of those guys, right? And um, so when we found out that they had these glasses and they said, well, we got some star ones, star Wars ones in the back. We got so many, they're like a dollar. And I was like, Brad, come here. They got star Wars glasses. You know, we're going to buy so many. This is going to be great. You know, and we're buying all this shit and we're like, you guys join in too. And he's like, Oh really great. And he walks over and she pulls them out and it's uh, Ray on the one glass and uh, Kylo on the other. Oh, and no. he's like, oh, I don't want that fucking new trilogy shit. You know, and <laughs> luckily they were such good sports. You know, they were like, oh, OK, I get it. You know, I'm a big blah, blah, blah fan myself. And, you know, they weren't didn't take it for as rude as it actually was. But <laughs> uh, so I didn't know you out of I, shame bought them both. Bought Andy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll take them. And I'll then I was them. like, so this is the stuff they sell normally or were they offering stuff to you guys because it was a bachelor party? No, it's just, just they sell it table. normally. Okay. Um and then we, I, I think I told him it was my bachelor party. She didn't seem to care about that. She, you know, I thought it was going to be a big thing. Like you chose to come here for your bachelor party. <laughs> Charles, come out out here. You haven't been to sing this song in a long time. It wasn't an event at all. Happy, they were like, happy wedding. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh, okay. Uh, we got star Wars glasses, you know, um, super cool. Loved it. Couldn't have celebrated it any better. That's awesome, man. I'm so happy for you guys. <laughs> I wish you were there, Steve. Oh, don't pity me. Don't. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Oh, put that no, but seriously, that's really cool. Thing. I'm happy you guys were able to do that. That's super cool. Fun. It's cool shit. I hope to go back. I hope to go to the one in Austin uh, once the world opens back up. Um, big, big fan. Big, big fan. 
I guess this brings us to our main event. The main event. Already, which we don't even really know what it is. We just know we kind of want to talk about movie adaptations, book to film, or comic book to film. I guess you could get away with that easily because it is a book, in fact. What about film to book? Does that ever happened? Oh, yeah. I mean, they do make... Novelizations. A, yeah, novelizations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> novelizations. <laughs> I don't know. You didn't say it like that, but that's how I heard it. I'm so sorry. Uh, so we want to just kind of talk a little bit about like what makes a good adaptation, what our favorite adaptations are, things that have been done well, things that went poorly, maybe even, if we want to be negative. For, um, and Steve was saying that he hadn't experienced many adaptations in the sense of like, Hey, I have uh, read the book and seen the film and have an opinion on both. Is that true, Steve? Uh, That is fairly true. I'm an uncultured swine, so I don't read a lot of (laughs) books. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I do read a lot, but usually it's like articles and, you know, Wikipedia articles and stuff like that. Like I like to read about things that are like, like comedy articles, but like rarely do I pick up a tome and rifle through its pages and, And cast its spells. <laughs> it's been quite an age since I've done such a thing. You've read the Bible and you've seen Passion of the Christ. That's have, all you got to do. I haven't read the Bible, but I have seen Passion of the Christ. So did you read Lord of the Rings? I read uh, the first book. Okay, that's fair because Tolkien's actually dense, right? He is. A, I do own all three books. Describes like, every blade of grass. Oh, that's okay. Then it counts. Yeah, I gave him money. <laughs> the Tolkien estate. Um, okay, so what is the the adaptation that you did delve into? So the adaptation I do want to delve into is uh, it's um, one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. It's a little indie film. You may have heard about it called Jurassic Park. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, did you watch the movie first? I'm assuming. I did watch the movie mm-hmm. first. I was a six-year-old kid who, like all six-year-old kids, loved dinosaurs. And uh, someone was like, hey, there's a, a sport you're uh, learning how to read. Um Actually, I was a pretty advanced reader when I was younger. When I was like a little kid, I read like a monster. I read a lot. Um, it was only until I like I kind of it was just something I grew out of, and I don't really know why. I uh, one of my New Year's resolution last year was to get back into reading more, and that's why I read Dune and um, I started reading the Expanse novels. But um, but you know, I saw Jurassic Park, wanted to see more. Someone was like, "Read this book. It's based off a book." I'm like, "Okay." And so if you can imagine six to seven-year-old Steve sitting down to read a Michael Crichton novel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's like super dense, you know, sci-fi and like they've, there's a lot of jargon in there. Um, and have you guys read the I novelization? I don't know what these words are. Uh, no. I have not. I, I, what was the question? I'm have you read the novelization of Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton? Yes. Uh, I read that in uh, Lost World. Way back in the day. Yeah. I read Timeline. I read Timeline in that movie, dude. so oh, I don't wow. know. I don't Timeline, know why. Timeline's awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I but it. out of all three of those, it's like what? Yeah, of all the Michael Crichton novels, Timeline yeah. isn't the one that people immediately think of. <laughs> he did Congo too, right? Yeah, he did yeah. Congo. There's like a ton of movies. I fucking love that movie. Yeah, dude. Sorry. It's a good book too. Amy, no. What's the what's the, the really oh, name Amy, right? Did, did you just do the gorilla? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, hey, we know. We have to listen to the gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> What's that actor's name? Uh, Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Yeah, I love him. God, um, that's such a funny movie. But if you've it's not read, a comedy. If you've read the novelization of Jurassic Park, it's a lot darker. It's a much darker story than what's on screen. There's actually... I, I love comparing this adaptation because this is a situation where the book and the movie are so dissimilar 
and yet so similar at the same time. Ooh, do tell. Meaning the broad strokes of the story, you know, you know, these characters go to a park where this like guy has made dinosaurs come back to life. The power goes out because of clever a girl employee. Clever. I don't know if clever girls in there, but uh, the, the broad strokes of the story are there. But there's a lot of minute differences like um, John Hammond in the movie is this lovable grandfatherly character in the novel. He's a son of a bitch. Um, he's just like this evil capitalist guy. Uh, Robert Muldoon, the clever girl guy. Um, he's this younger game warden in the movie. In the book, he's this like older game warden who like lives. Like, and there's a lot of differences of who lives and who dies mm-hmm. in those books. Uh, Henry- How is the... Um, what the fucking... Sh- oh, slap me and call me Sally. Sally. <laughs> <laughs> the... Is it a character you're thinking of? Yeah, it's an actor that the he's Wayne a, Knight, Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I can think of it. Ian Malcolm, Jeff Goldblum's character is basically the same in the books. He's like one of the consistent ones. Like okay. Alan Grant is basically the same. The core characters are the same. I think the 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 grandkids Lex and Tim are swapped. Their ages are swapped from novelization to book. So the the boy is older. Yeah, I think so. Um, <sighs> But a lot of the side characters, like Henry Wu, um, who has since in the movies, he's he's kind of his character has grown to be kind of like this villain in like the Jurassic World uh, movies. Yeah. He dies in the book, like he he doesn't go on the little employee pleasure cruise that is like yeah. happening. He he stays in the park and he gets eaten up by raptors. Um, but there's there's it's it's so much of a darker and there's this B plot where like dinosaurs might be escaping off the island because I think the book opens up with a Compsognathus eating a baby's face in Puerto Rico, like there's a there's like some I think it's a a babysitter in Puerto Rico is like in the other room and she hears a noise and she goes into the room and there's like a Compsognathus the little green things that are in the Lost World movie is just standing over the the baby's crib like eating at it and then it scurries away when it sees her come into the room and then the baby's dead. Oh my um, God. And there's, and there's like all this stuff, like the, the guy gets eaten by the raptor in the beginning and it's causing the lawsuit. And that's why the lawyers in there. And that's another difference. The lawyer in the novelization is a badass. He's like one of the best characters in the book. He's like this young hip lawyer who understands that he's a lawyer. And there's like this irony to like him being a lawyer, but he's like this guy who actually protects the kids and, not the guy that runs away and dies in the shitter. No, no, right. it's it it it's it's just. <laughs> and when I compare the two, you know, which one do I compare? Because I think both of them are really, really good. Obviously, I mentioned the movie is one of my favorite movies of all time. The book is a really, really good book. It's just this twisted version of what is on screen. However, I think if I were to say which one I like better, it's the movie because I think the movie does something that the book doesn't, and that is kind of bring awe to the fact that you know when you watch Jurassic Park for the first time the first movie does this great thing where it really makes you kind of as an audience be like wow there are dinosaurs right and they're alive and this is amazing like there's this wonder in that film that I don't think the the, any of the sequels yeah that score oh my god there's so much wonder and grandeur in just the idea of dinosaurs coming back and how cool that would be and and i don't think any of the sequel films have that but i don't think the book has that either the book kind of treats it as like is much more thinking about like you know man shouldn't meddle in nature that type of thing which is a theme that's in the movie but the movie does kind of stamp back and be like yeah man probably shouldn't meddle in nature but how amazing is the nature you know yeah uh 
So, so like I, I the, that's my comparison. That's the one I'm most uh, versed in. I have also read the sequel, Lost World, um, which that novelization is vastly different than the movie mm-hmm. of the Lost World, Jurassic Park. Um, there's a completely different cast of characters. Um, but I, in that situation, oh, I prefer kids don't get all eaten up at the beginning. Yeah. Um, Wait, is that is that Lost World? Last World, the the rich girl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the beginning of that one. Um, no, the the in the in the novelization, there's like only three hunter characters, and one of them is Dotson, who's the guy who was in the movie trying to get the embryos from Nedry. So there's that plot line continues with that character. Dotson, Dotson, we got Dotson over here. <laughs> See, nobody cares. cares. <laughs> and that's and that's one of the things I appreciate. I think the Lost World novelization is a lot better than the movie, The Lost World, because um, it's it kind of continues the themes of the first one and continues those characters and it's scarier. Um, but, and it doesn't go into the hokiness of going into San Diego. Cause I actually like the movie, the lost world, but like, I don't think it's for a different great, reasons. I don't think it's a great movie. It's a fun. Oh, I like Jurassic it's world. It's more Jurassic park. Yeah. Or, yeah. I like it's, it's just more Jurassic park. And I like that. It's just, I know you're so versed in Jurassic park, bro. It's impressive. Yeah, man. I love dude. It's one of my favorite. I, I, uh, I watch Jurassic park every year. The movie. Okay. Uh, just because it's one of my favorite movies. Um, that is a movie that if people are like, I don't understand pacing in a film, put on Jurassic Park. That movie's got damn near perfect pacing. It's like a two hour long movie. feels like 20 minutes. Um, that and Kung Fu Panda. But <laughs> <laughs> I get it, man. I get what you're saying. Legit. But I mean, that, that that's, my, that's my example of an adaptation. I know okay. that's kind of a long winded kind of tirade there on Jurassic Park. No, you're good. That's all the time we have. No, uh, Chris, <laughs> I, I have one. So there's a book that you read recently, and both of us saw the movie first. And I think that's usually the case, but th- this this one stuck out to me because it seemed like an impossible book to adapt after I read it, and that's Cloud Atlas. Mm-hmm. Um, we both saw it. Um, I read the book first. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. We rented the. You just read the book recently, right? And I never finished the movie. Oh, you, you and I rented the movie. Years we watched ago. like. 20 did we not mi- finish it? No, we watched like twenty oh. minutes of it, and I never went back and finished it. Oh, okay. Because I didn't understand anything that was fucking going on in the movie, and uh, my friend's dad, who's an avid reader, so Andy and I are both avid readers. Um, not that we're better than you, Steve. <laughs> I'm an uncultured. I, I have these bookshelves here to uh, to prove it. To scare you. You, <laughs> you call them books. Books. Uh, so we kind of fed off one another growing up. Like I read a lot, you know. Uh, yeah, I read more. One hundred percent. But anyway, no. So I never finished it. Compet- I don't know if you were between you guys. Yeah, for sure. I have it's a one hundred twenty word per second count. Not <laughs> spoken, but it's just kind of like yeah. a. Have you know, read this? Of course I have. <laughs> of course I have. And then you go read it because you hadn't yet. But yeah, I, th- I don't remember why, but I, I don't think, uh, we I don't remember what, it? I don't remember what happened. Um, uh, but you, I remember us not finishing we it. We got little first. Caesars and then you left cause we were like, cause kind of, you know, I'm not really digging this. And we either watched Avengers instead or just, we left. Uh, and then, so seven years went by, I've owned the book the entire time and I finally decided to read it. And then directly afterward, I bought the movie and uh watched it and so what did you think like did did they pull it off after having read it i think it's a beautiful movie it's a beautiful film but i mean no um i think they're two entirely different things 
Uh, I actually hold on, I hold that thought because I haven't written that many letterboxed reviews, and I think I actually wrote something about it. Um, is it a diary? So yes, Cloud Atlas audience. Uh, uh, Cloud Atlas was written by David Mitchell, and it had it is written in this wonderfully unique way where it's written like a Russian stacking doll. So the book tells a whole bunch of different stories. And it begins and ends with the same story. So uh, two halves to the same story. So the first like 30 pages or so are an opening to story A. And the last 30 pages or so are the ending to story A. And then the second like 21 through 50 or whatever are the beginning of story B. And then the right before the end of story A at the end is the end of story B. And then in the very middle of it is a complete story. And it's it's. You have lost me completely already. <laughs> do, do, do you do you get what I'm what I'm saying about like yeah. the the way that it's written? Like it's yeah. it's it's, it's an, an impossible feat, and and it's like intertwined with each other, and there's like little threads. And certain ancestors of other characters will interact and be referenced, and it's not as like once you're in it, you have to fight through you know a little while of confusion. But once you're in it, um, it's oh my, and once it clicks, it's genius. Um, but so to answer your question, I said no because they the movie doesn't even try mm-hmm. in in its own way because they, it knows that it can't be done. Um, so I wrote um, a masterclass and adaptation. This is about Cloud Atlas, the film. A masterclass and adaptation: how to change form and leave substance entirely intact. I only wish it had been a lengthy, limited series so that we could savor every rich detail of this beautiful story. So. I guess I was kind of going to talk a little bit about what you guys thought were the necessary components of a good adaptation. Um, but I was always, you know, taught and maybe it's common knowledge that it, you have to understand that it's an adaptation. It's an entirely different thing. And so sometimes people get too hung up with the source material if they're huge fans of it and they're like, well, this was better. And it's like, sure, but it's not the same thing. You know what I mean? It's not it's designed a different to medium. Yeah. If it was the same thing, it would be, be a complete failure. Do you know what I mean? And that would be strange. And you can adapt anything. Like we could make a podcast version of Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that would be an adaptation. And nobody would fucking in their right mind expect it to live up to the film or be the same thing as the film or what. Don't tempt me with that ring, Frodo. But you can tempt me with this free offer code from BarkBox. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Use the promo code Roberts. <laughs> Exactly. Um, does that answer your question, Andy? Yeah. Well, you had said no, they didn't pull it off, but then in your review, you you didn't you title it Masterclass and Adaptation? Yeah, I said no, like they didn't try to though. Like yeah. they didn't try to do the book ending thing because they in the same way. Like, does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. it, you can't do that because you're not spending seven hours in each section. And so that's why the film now I'll say this too though, because you said you watched the movie. Before the book, right? Yes, yes. What did you think of the movie? I mean, in general, uh, I, I did not like the movie, I, and I don't remember why we stopped watching it the first time. And I feel like that was probably why. I agree, it, it wasn't very good. And then when I went back and watched it again, I was like, "Man, that was pretty and pretty bad." You know, like mm-hmm. I, it was visually gorgeous, but it was not a good movie. Um, and then I watched, and then I read the book because I love David Mitchell, um, and I. Uh, I was like, oh, my God, the movie makes so much more sense. And I was like, oh, that's like required material in order to watch the movie. 
and have it make right. any sense. Right. And that is a sign of a God of a terrible adaptation. Mm-hmm. If you need to have read the book in order for it to make any sense, it reminds me of, so my biggest gaming disappointment of my entire life was final fantasy 15. I looked forward to that game for so long. It was, uh, I, I've been reading about it. Uh, is that and, the one with lightning? Uh, no, that's 13. Um, final fantasy 15 is with Noctis. It's the most recent in the mainline series. Okay. Um, it was a uh, PS4 mainline in fantasy now. <clears throat> uh, Final but, fantasy. but so it was actually originally a spinoff of 13. It was called 13 verses. And then like it was in development for so long. Eventually they're like, oh no, this is going to be a main series game. Cause there were a bunch of 13 spinoffs. Anyway, when 15 finally came out, never mind like the gameplay and stuff. Like it just wasn't what I wanted to be, but Final Fantasy has been involving in order for the story to make sense in that game. You needed to watch a feature length movie you need to watch watch a six episode mini anime series and you needed to play another game and like read a comic strip in order for the this main story to make any fucking sense to have any idea who these characters were and i was like this is the worst storytelling of all time like nobody is going to do all of these things and never mind how good the gameplay is or or how wonderful that story might be you told it in a way that was beyond inaccessible. And so that was how Cloud Atlas felt to me because it was like a, it felt like a we're smarter than you movie. Like, oh, you don't know this book? Oh, of course you've read this book, right? It felt like that. Like you're, the, the, sure. it, it assumed too much of the audience. I can, I could see that. And I think a work does have to stand on its own. Um, I did not have that experience simply because I had not only read the book, but literally just finished the book. Right. Yeah. So you couldn't have a higher knowledge uh, or familiarity with that. And so I do remember the movie obviously striking me um, and like crying and just bringing me closer. And, you know, it's got Tom Hanks and Halle Berry and it's, it's a really, and it's uh, what a Wachowski film. So it's, Everyone, it's, it's gorgeous. Shaw, I love them with Shaw. Yeah, all that good shit. Um, things. But uh, I could see where you're coming from. I don't know. I'm sure there's somebody who saw the movie that liked it and hadn't read the book. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Oh, for sure. But I also think that that's sometimes happened. And I want to sound like a super elitist here, but some material is so dense and groundbreaking that that kind of commitment to really see it for what it is, is not only okay, but like noble in a way, because like how many years does it take somebody to create something and you can't even spend an extra 10 hours to fully enjoy it? Like, fuck you. Not you, but you know what I mean? Like, sure. But you No. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. What I mean is, is it any different? Let's just say intellectually, we're just debating here. Is it any different? I was thinking about this earlier. I think, I don't know if I was smoking with you guys or what, but not smoking that. Um, we're then, smoking some ribs. Then requiring, <laughs> <laughs> then requiring someone to watch a movie multiple times. Uh, I don't know who, why I was thinking about this, but I was thinking about Nolan specifically. Tenet. No, it was last night on my own. I was just, I just think of this shit. I was watching Inception, and I was like, because you know, this is the fourth time I've seen this movie. This is really good. This is neat. Damn, I wonder what it was like the first time I watched this. I bet I didn't fucking know anything that was going on. And I've even heard the actors reading the script were just like, I mean, fuck it, it's Nolan. We'll do it. <laughs> and then I was like, ah, oh, he's so cool. He films movies that you have to watch like three times. And I was like, 
is that cool or is that like fuck that guy and then i was kind of bouncing around like ping pong like no that's really cool that's really cool you know that's do you understand what i'm saying sure like, like he's got the balls to like make a story that you really have to work multiple times to like fully appreciate the layers of. Mm -hmm. And is, is that any different? I think there's a value. Like, I think I don't a hundred percent agree with you on that, but I think I, I'm like halfway there Mm -hmm. where I think I want to get you there, Steve. I think (laughs) so badly. Just keep pressing my buttons, man. You'll get me there. Um, I think there's value in creating a movie or something like that where it requires multiple view. It doesn't require multiple viewings, but every time you review, but it's enhanced by it. Every time you watch it again, it's enhanced. So like, uh, okay, go, that's go, fair. The go first on, one has to be okay. Go but then there's Chris, layers. Piggybacking on Christopher Nolan, like you watch the Prestige the first time. That is a great movie. The first time you sure. see it, you may not like understand, you know, what's happening in the moment, but the story's kind of bringing you there. And then you get to the end of it, you're like, oh, I like that twist. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So, but when you watch that movie a second time, knowing how it ends. You pick up on things that are deliberately on screen and are called out, but you don't have the context yet for what they mean. So you're like, oh, wow. They're, and I don't want to really spoil the twist for this prestige, but like when you watch, I, if you watch it once, watch it a second time and you realize how well written that movie is. Mm-hmm. Tenet, on the other hand. Yeah. Like you watch it one time and the credits roll and you're like, nope, I didn't pick up any of that. I'm sure if I watched it a second time, I would be like, okay, this makes more sense. But like, this is, as Andy famously said, this is comically hard to follow. And I feel like in a way, I I think I told Andy this, like, I I feel like uh, Tenet was Christopher Nolan's revenge porn for people who thought Inception was too hard to follow. Yeah. (laughs) You think that was hard to follow? I'll show you such a bitch. Did you see Cloud Atlas, Steve? No. Damn, you would be really useful for this discussion having never read the book. Right. You son of a bitch. You should have get you should have given me this homework. I would have come in with I would have come in hot. It's like I've got a notepad. <laughs> I had no intention of talking about Cloud Atlas until I just glanced up on my bookshelf and saw it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, oh so yeah." That was intended to be your example of a really poorly done adaptation. Well, right? no, that was uh, I. That was to me not just one that was poorly done because it's still like that movie has its merits. You know, I, mm. I, I know I was shitting all over it. I do that sometimes, but like I still was a extremely well-made movie that did some really cool keep in mind gentlemen tenet was in his top 10 of the year and he didn't like it (laughs) that's just how he saw it that's just how he is um uh no i will never let him live that down (laughs) that that was one that i thought was unadaptable is why i wanted to bring it up like the the question of should you you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) just because you can right doesn't mean you should uh, I stand by my the end of my review though. Um, it would have been served better as like a ten and, part series, yeah, mini series or limited series on HBO or something like that, right? Yeah, can you a, imagine a movie is such a it's it's a really cool medium, right? I mean, we all love movies, but it's a very it's a lim, it's a limiting medium. You only have what ninety minutes. To get a story across, or like ninety to what, minimum sure, of eighty, it's a short but story. Yeah. ninety to like two hundred minutes to like mm-hmm. tell a story. When you have a book, you can put so much more context, characterization. Like, what is this person thinking of in this moment that you can't you can't bring that context into a film per se without it being sure. heavy handed or like a voiceover, like Deckard and Blade Runner. Like, we we found the clues over here. Like, you don't want to. Do we don't that talk about that movie. version of Blade Runner, Steve. <laughs> 
Yeah, that version. That was a really good Deckard, though. But you, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like it, it, on page, you can get so much more across in a single page. Harrison Ford is so checked out for that. Really, Scott paid me a lot of money to be here, so um, <laughs> I guess I'll do it. You go fly an airplane. Well, this is not related at all, but we were at a Star Wars convention. It was the 30th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back, and they were like, we got a big surprise for you guys. Harrison Ford has sent us a video. Oh, no. About let's what let's show the video that Harrison Ford said. It's literally Harrison Ford. Like, hello, everybody. Um, wow, thirty years. Uh, well, good luck. (laughs) 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 Sorry, Harrison Ford cannot fucking be bothered to give any type of shit about Star Wars. Definitely not. So glad I did this instead of carpentry. Um, and that brings up a good point because I, I had a creative writing professor that said that anytime you write anything, um, you have to be sure that that is the only way to tell that particular story. Like that's why you're writing it the way that you are. Meaning, uh, if you're going to make it a short story, that's fine. But why is it a short story? There's particular things to that, even just writing, there's different mediums, you know what I mean? And there's idiosyncrasies to that form that have to matter, or why do it that way? Or if you're going to do a comic book, fine. Why does it have to be a comic book? Do you know what I mean? Or it's going to fucking suck if you can't figure out why it has to be a comic book. The medium has to lend to the story. Right. Uh, Or make it a film or a short film. Why is it better as a short film? Do you know what I mean? That's um, interesting, though, because just by virtue of that advice implies that an adaptation would always be inferior. Why does it have to be? A mostly book? they are. Wouldn't you agree? Um, yes and no. I mean, I, there's I, I that, it that constant refrain. The book is better is a joke, but it's also almost always true. I, I feel like the best adaptations, I feel like they take the spirit of the original novel and they tell that story. They, they do exactly what you just exactly. mentioned, Chris, but they take the story and they restructure it sure. so that the medium is again, serving that story in a different way. And, but you have to change that story mm-hmm. in, in how you tell it. Sure. Yeah. There's like plot structure beats that you have to adhere to mm-hmm. in a book. that you I think matter, a great example, maybe I hope would be the Stephen King stories, probably the most adapted author of all time. Sure. His adaptations, their counterparts almost hardly resemble the original Stephen King material mm-hmm. to the betterment. Not that he wrote the wrong words, but that it's just this is a totally new thing. Like Stephen King famously hates the Shining film, uh, this legendary Kubrick film, right, that just pulled from it and totally made it its own thing. Shawshank Redemption was based on a, a tiny novella mm-hmm. that Stephen King wrote. I mean, it became a three-hour film that is hardly resembles, for the most part, the original story, right? But he pulled so much, uh, you know, rich density out of the story to make it in this long film. What was his hotel um, room movie with John Cusack? Like hotel four, four, 47? 1490-something? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, it was based off of a short story of his in one of his collections. The, the short story was absolutely fantastic. But to you answer your question Dream before... Dreamcatcher when uh, the alien came out of your butt and uh, it's got, their autistic friend was an alien that saved them all? Terrible movie, but 
I like it because it's got Jason Lee in it. Yeah. Actually, I did read that book. Did you really? There you go. Yeah, then I'm, I'm rediscovering. But so to answer your question, though, I don't. I know there's the age old adage that the book is was better, but honestly, I think for most people, it's whichever version they experienced first. Generally, yeah, that's um, fair. Usually, because you have that that uh, is it? Would it be recency bias? But like that's your your first firstency so, bias. It's a thing. So that's like in your mind, like the, the, the story is that because I saw that. Sure. First. So if you see any interpretations of it, you're always comparing it to what your baseline is. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I thought it was like when we were in high school, uh, Fight Club came out, the movie, and uh, mm-hmm. then we all got super into Chuck Palahniuk, you know, and uh, I think every one of us thought the uh, ending or the movie was better, especially the ending. Uh, but the ending is better. I agree, but thematically, you could argue that the book does it and sticks is more true to what the ultimate goal of the or the main theme of the plot was. Maybe um, I I'm uh, I don't want. I guess we can do spoilers, but I just I really think spoilers for what? Fight Club? Maybe it's because I saw the movie first. Maybe, but mm-hmm. it just seem it's a better ending. You've got. Pixies. Oh yeah, the music. You've helps. got the window with Helena Bottom Carter and Edward Norton, and I mean, it's 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 better than the depressing ending of Fight Club. Could have ended Kangaroo Jack with a Pixie song, and I'd be like, oh, yeah. that was a damn good movie. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't remember what just <laughs> happened at all. I'm so enwrapped here. Um, I don't want to be like a contrarian because I mean, I know what you're saying is a, is pretty true. Like, however, you experience it first, but mm-hmm. I think that the Lord of the Rings trilogy is. <laughs> is better than the books. I 100% And agree. I read the books first. Okay. Um, Game of Thrones is a, a normal example. I read the books first. The books are better. Passion um, but that's a, better that's one we got. That's for sure. That's one we got to talk about though. Steve made like, uh-oh, we're on the <laughs> people listen face. Um, I read Game of Thrones books before it became optioned by HBO. Uh, one of the biggest things in my life ever has been A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I think that enterprise is, is rife for discussion with adaptation. I mean, cause that was yeah, an unadaptable it's, story. It's unprecedented at this point. And what I remember thinking when I saw the pilot, cause I, I was, I'll just be, I'll be honest. I was released from jail and in the meantime, game of Thrones had come out. Um, and I, it, I had a box set that I went and bought of DVDs of the show. Like, Holy shit, it's been here, you know, while I was busy. And I didn't like the pilot at all. I know they reshot it because it was apparently atrocious originally, but it was just so. Wait, you saw the the unaired pilot? No, that's no. no but I'm just saying, oh, okay. like, I know that the pilot was originally like. He knows it was worse than the yeah. one he didn't like. Oh, okay, okay. And so I watched the Game of Thrones pilot that eventually was aired, and I didn't like that either. It just felt like they took this huge, unbelievably rich world and made it so small. And I hated it. I love Sean Bean um, and uh, the guy who plays Roland in A Knight's Tale. Andy always knows his Mark name. Mark Addy. Mark Addy. Oh. I'm a huge fan of him. Um, <laughs> Bow your shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's how I felt. And eventually I did become obsessed with the show. You know, um, Amelia Clark and Natalie Dormer, they all did such a great job. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Did you guys... I, I guess Andy, I'll direct him first because he had also read the books with me and stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. what did you think? What was your initial impression of that adaptation? Uh, so I had 100% the same 
oh, I don't want to call it elitist, but the same preconception of you can't possibly fucking adapt this. Mm. And then when you watch the pilot, you know, you're catching the first maybe 50 pages of the book, something like that. You know what I mean? And so it felt small. I agree with you there. Like it felt like, and, and I was so excited for the show when, but when you finally watch it and it's, you know, syndicated or whatever it's called, where it's released episodic, you know, the uh, dropping everything at once didn't exist back then. So it's like, that was it. It felt small. And I, didn't I, I I remember taking particular umbrage with uh, Peter Dinklage playing Tyrion because I didn't like the way he looked. You didn't like the Dink? He didn't look like Tyrion. Yeah, Tyrion. That's what I was shit. about to to say. Is like back to your point earlier about how you like whatever you experience first. Um, I think it's because even if you read a book first, you see them in your mind's eye, if you will, mm-hmm. a certain way, and if that person on the screen is not it, it can be extremely jarring. And so when I watched the pilot, I was like, that's not at all. You know what I mean? That's not King Robert. No, I love Mark Addy. He did a phenomenal job, but King Robert is supposed to be like six foot six, this giant of a man that was a super strong, handsome warrior that has let himself go and become, you know, like this fat drunk man. Right. But you could still strong then (laughs) you could. Yeah. You could still underneath that, see the man he used to be. And Mark Addy is so obviously (laughs) never been that, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, and that kind of shit bothered me. Um, Jamie Lannister. I mean, I, Nicholas Custer Waldale did such a good job, but at first I was like, that is definitely not Jamie Lannister. You know what I mean? Uh, he, that is, he's supposed to be Brad Pitt, you know. Was, I mean? there any, was there anybody that you guys were like, bullseye, they nailed that one? Eddard. Um, Eddard Sean Eddard Bean just sure. fucking nailed it. Jon Snow. Uh, uh, Jon Snow. Yeah. Harrington was dead on. Um, who else? That was dead on? Um, Cersei was pretty fucking close to how I pictured her. I, I, w- I would say Amelia Clark is Daenerys somewhat. I mean, the, the character design was off. I mean, we, she was supposed to have purple eyes and the... Uh, really stark hair that they didn't quite pull off. I always say this, but I feel stark like the hair, girl that so like brown hair. Nah. <laughs> I feel I like the girl nerd. that plays the dag in Mad Max Fury Road, the blonde uh, wife. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember what he calls him, but the uh, one of the girls that's escaping, she's the one with thin, long blonde hair. She looks exactly the way I pictured Daenerys. And so every time I see Mad Max, I point at her and I say, she should have been Daenerys. And no one's in the room. It's the weirdest thing. <laughs> Somehow he knows about it, though. So presumably he's somewhere in the room. Um, I actually, so I, I I watched the first, yeah, it was the first season of Game of Thrones. Really liked it. Someone was like, you should read the books. So I read the first book. Um, and I was actually shocked when I first read the book. Because like going, going into reading that book, my only real foray into... Um, I guess that type of like fantasy world was Lord of the Rings. And I remember reading Lord of the Rings is like reading the Bible sometimes where it's like, Oh, low doth the elf. And then 300 pages about a doorknob. Right. Um, so that's what I was expecting going in. I'm like, well, everyone says it's good. So like, I'll read it. I was shocked that for um, game of Thrones, the books are really easy to read. 
Yeah. Like they're written away where I'm like, I could have read this when I was five Mm -hmm. and got, and which it makes so much sense because you mentioned you, you read it at such a young age and like grew up with it. Yeah. It makes so much more sense now. Like when, when I read the books, I was just like, wow, this is, I was expecting like highfalutin, you know, really complicated words at every sentence, but you know, each sentence was pretty like, you know, cat went to the door, cat opened the door. There was a man there. He tried to stab her. Luckily, the dog stopped it. He died. <laughs> oh, come on. Give his prose more credit than I mean, that. Damn. I mean, the dog stopped it. <laughs> I mean, obviously, there, there's more artistic prose to it. But it, but it's very direct sure. in terms of like like how he's describing what. He's considered the father of like fantastical realism. Mm-hmm. I get what you're saying, though. It's not like, thither did she wander. Correct. The, <laughs> yeah. The portcullis. Yes. I, I, I canine dis- hawks. <laughs> Summer dog doth attack. Uh, what was was? Oh no, Shaggy dog. Shaggy dog. Shaggy dog doth attack. But it's summer, summer that kills the dude because summer's the one that's laying on Bran. Yeah, summer's Bran's dog. A oh, Shaggy dog is Rickon's, Rickon's kid. Okay, Rickon's kid. Rickon's dog. Damn. <laughs> so you did read it though? You finish it? The first book. Yeah, I didn't read any of the other ones. That was such a cool experience, though, because it became such I'm a... i judged by Chris right now. <laughs> it became such a giant thing in pop culture to know what was coming. So things like the Red Wedding and stuff to, you know, be like, to be so excited to see how they're going to do it. Because by season three, which is when the Red Wedding happens, we're, we're invested. At that point, the show has has surpassed our expectations. And not only did it do a good job, it did a great job. And... uh so getting Until to later, getting to see like the reactions and it was one of my favorite things. An episode would air and then I get on YouTube and try to start searching for the reaction videos to people seeing this shit for the first time. Right. Uh, it was so exciting. And now we're in kind of unprecedented territory. We're like, Chris and I love these books so much. Chris actually introduced the books to me years ago. And so I was a fan also prior to the show having ever come out and stuff. And now we're at a point where we kind of know the ending. Like not a hundred percent, but mostly. Um, like Martin didn't tell DB Weiss and David Benioff what the real ending is gonna or how he's gonna get there, but he said what the broad strokes are. So we kind of know the main stuff, and the, those books aren't even out yet, and that's just insane because we were so far ahead for so long, and now yeah, it's very sad to not get to end it the way it was intended. I'd be now interested it's to see like how an, people, kind of going back to what you guys were talking about earlier, how the first time, the first thing, first time you see something paints your perception of any sort of version of it. Now that we've seen technically how the story, quote unquote, ends through the show in their version, how that's going to paint people's interpretation if and when the, the book finally oh, it does come out. certainly informs it. And that's why yeah. um, I was just raised this way. I don't know if it's better or not. My dad was a huge lover of books and I mentioned jail earlier and that's awkward, but like most of the listeners know that I have struggled with addiction and that's why I was there. But my dad had his own struggles. He was extremely impoverished. It made me look rich in my childhood. And so he spent a lot of his life in prison and stuff. And the only reason that's relevant to this is I mean, you may or may not know there's nothing else to do in there, but read. Right. So my dad being, though he was, classically uneducated he didn't even graduate high school was an avid reader and very intelligent because of that like very good with words and stuff um and so from an early age he just loved books i would always just see him reading he didn't push it on me at all i just would come out from my room scratching my little sleepy eyes and looking for pancakes and he'd be on the couch uh with a novel 
cracked in one hand. He had this way of like propping each side up with a pinky and thumb kind of thing. And he would always just be sitting there looking at it. And, and so I just started reading because I wanted to be like my daddy. You know what I mean? And my dad kind of, once I got into that fold, raised me like you always treat books with respect. You're not allowed to dog ear the pages. Um, you know what I mean? Don't crinkle them or anything like that. I will, you know, this is, you respect this thing. Somebody put a lot of work into this. Um, and he always said, if you start a book, you have to finish it. Do you know what I mean? Somebody took all this time to write it. It's good enough for them to write. It's such a dumb theory, but he said, if it's good enough for them to write it, it's good enough for you to finish reading it. Even if it's shit, you know what I mean? Because he could read a whole book in a day. And so it wasn't that big of a deal. And and I kind of adopted that. Like I would just read some, you know what I mean? I could tear through 300 page book and eight hours and what is that i'm not doing anything else you know so it wasn't a big deal just finish the fucking book um but anyway um and obviously some people have dyslexia and things like that i'm not i'm that's just that's my gift is the words jump off pages easily for me they form images in my brain i don't even see words it's easy it's like watching a little movie in the book but anyway he would always if there was an adaptation he would always say read the book first because and this is interesting. I forgot he had said this until we were talking about this. If you read the book first, you can watch the movie and like kind of easier. It's easier to like switch to movie mode. But if you watch the movie first or the show or whatever it is, and you try to read the book, you will only be able to see the actors no matter That's, how hard you fucking try. And it ruins true. it. And so he was really serious about that. And I, I pretty found that to be true. Yeah. So. That's solid advice. Do you guys, when you read a book, uh, like, uh, so Chris, when you're reading a book, how does it pop into your head? Because when I read, I read, you know, word, 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 word. But if there's dialogue, I often find myself like kind of mouthing the dialogue. Like I don't actually say anything, but I'm always like, you know, I'm moving my mouth. And like, if I think like, oh, you're like um, a lip mover. Yeah. Not but specifically for dialogue, just for dialogue. Cause in my head, I'm, I don't know. This is a weird thing that I do when I read books is like, if there's dialogue in my head, I imagine, okay, this character sounds like this. So I almost have to deliver that line of dialogue the way that person in my head says it. So like, if it's like, like if I'm reading Lord of the Rings and Gandalf is like doing something, I have to be like, Hobbit saw doing, and I'm like making that motion with my mouth and in my head, I'm not actually saying it, but in my head, I've got that deep voice. Like hobbits will certainly hear it that way for sure. Um, and I mean, I'll let Andy answer for sure because he reads a ton, but I've always later. So I look down on people, right? Like, cause I wasn't good at sports or anything like that. I, I told you I was the overweight kid in last week's episode and in my childhood and how it was. But so what I did was read all the time when I wasn't playing with action figures. And of course, how I rationalize my own existence into being something worth living is that, okay, I'm better than those people because this is what <laughs> right. I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Later in life. I started to kind of try to understand like people, some people just hate books. You know what I mean? I used to be like, well, that's cause you're a fucking idiot, you know? But now I'm like, maybe not. <laughs> what, maybe. What I mean is maybe it has nothing to do with uh, their sensibilities. It's their, their brains wired a certain way. Maybe what happens to me when I read literally does not happen to them. And that is therefore not fair. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. when I read the words aren't even there, if it's a good writer, like it's, I don't feel like I'm reading at all. It's just like this flurry of 
images in my mind. Does that make sense? It's just like a tiny, like a. Your brain's able to connect the word to the actual thing without actually having to. There's read the an word. instant fidelity of meaning and image and no like bridge to cross there. Whereas I can imagine if someone was like, um, you know, the man walked through the door, his cape fluttered behind him and there was a delay there and they're like, all right, door, cape, got it. Like that would be fucking annoying and taxing and I wouldn't want to do that either. That's you- how that's how I read. Like, well, I, that's it, how it is for a lot of people, or yeah. especially like if you're not in the zone yet, you know what I mean? I, I, I 100% have both of those. Where like I have to reread the same page six or seven times before it clicks what happened. Sure, you'll like and zone out. Yeah. And part of that sometimes the onus is on the writer to not only write good words, but use the correct punctuation and structure to make the words disappear. But Steve, I cut you off. So it's normally like that for you when you're reading? Yeah, like I don't have, I, I, I literally have to each word and then it informs what my imagination is after I read each word. Like, but I actually have to, I, it's not one of those things like you, like you say, it sounds so uh, poetic or even like a superpower where you're just, the words are just coming off, off at you. But I literally have to read it. Like I would read a, you know, a, my tax forms. I have to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to do that brain, either. Two image. It's yeah. like a three step process. For yeah. Me. That would be terrible. I mean, it, it isn't, I mean, it's not super terrible. It's just harder to get into. Like sure. you have to get into that mindset. Like for me, I've discovered for myself, like I mentioned before, I wanted to start reading more this year and I have read more, but I've discovered that the only way I can get into that mindset is like, I, I have like a reading corner, but it's on my deck. So I have to, the weather has to be nice. I have to be outside. And that's where like I can read and kind of immerse myself in whatever book I'm in. But if like, I can't do it inside, I can't do it indoors. Mm. Uh, there's too many distractions for me. But if I'm outside, you can hear the the birds. You can feel the sun. For some reason, that like calibrates my mind into like, okay, it's imagination time with these words. <laughs> Whereas if I read inside, it's almost like a utility. Like reading is a utility. Like oh, I've got to, I have to read to do this chore or this job or learn about this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's so. Well, what about you, Andy? Are you more like Chris? Um, I am somewhere in the middle. Uh, sometimes you just, you know, lock in and it's, it, it, it really is like it ceases to be the act of reading and more about consuming the story. Other times, you know, I, I am also kind of really into the craft of it and stuff. So I will frequently reread, th- reread pieces as I go and be like, oh my God, I love the phrasing of that. And, uh, Oh, I think I recognize that they use that same type of sentence structure in the opening of this paragraph, and then I'll flip back there and go look for that. Um, I also do a thing a lot of times where I'll listen to the audiobook as I read along, uh, and I encourage oh, everybody to try that. Uh, it opens up the, especially if you like to write, I think that it opens up the way that you perceive uh, an author's intent. You will see it in a way that you did not see it otherwise if you're reading along you're like oh that's not how i would have done that and if you try to write down what you're hearing if you're only listening to the audiobook and compare it to the actual book that's not what you're reading it, it, it it's it's an adaptation of its own uh because there's stylistic flourishes and dramatic pauses and emphasis on certain you know uh words or uh phonemes or whatever that aren't there in the text 
and it's a wonderful way to experience it. But again, you can also just fall down this OCD rabbit hole. I do sometimes uh, where it's like, even then you're not completely paying attention to the story itself, but now you're doubly focusing on the craft, the, the literature versus the vocal adaptation. And you can kind of drive yourself crazy with it. But, um, and so on, I I stress myself out when I read a lot of times, but other times I can sit <laughs> so down. It's and, fun. I recommend it. <laughs> I recommend it. And, and that's it, why it's in my top ten films of the year. <laughs> <laughs> other times, other times I'd sit down, knock a whole book out, you know, in an evening, and just I haven't read shit in a minute though. Uh, I think that's the categorical difference that you were experiencing when you read Tolkien versus George Martin. Have you read Harry Potter, Steve? Uh, yeah, I have. What, did you find that? Yeah, engrossing and easy to read. Yeah, yeah. Not just because it's a children's novel. I think it gets pretty adult as you get older. So what I'm getting at is I think some authors are better at disappearing. And so if you have authors like Dennis Johnson or Elizabeth Gilbert, I mean, they have just beautiful prose, right? Prose so beautiful that you can't help but notice that was a really fucking interesting way to phrase that sentence. Like Dennis Johnson, I'm like underlining um, he's got the beginning of one story and it's about a heroin addict. And the guy said he knew every raindrop by its name. It was one of the sentences. And I sat there rereading that over and over and over. Like, what does that mean? Why would he say that? It's so beautiful. You know, he's, he's so fucking lonely that all he does is, you know, like zone out and stare out. Anyway. So obviously took me out of the story there because it was so beautiful. <laughs> George Martin doesn't do that. Like you said, his, his prose is such that it's just, the images he's telling the story, do you know, he's not trying to be flashy or showy. And I think JK Rowling, I think that is her gift. Mm-hmm. That is the first novel that unlocked my superpower. When I was a kid, you know, I read, um, sorcerer stone. I was probably what, eight. You Something think candy, like I you think know, seven or eight, maybe. I, no, actually, I think we were 11 when they came out, right? Just like Harry Potter. Yeah. I don't think I was in six. So I guess you would have been 10. I don't think I was in sixth grade, fifth grade. Do you think so? I think so. Anyway, I read that book in a few hours laying on my bed and I'm just like my dad. You know what I mean? I read the whole fucking book. Dad, I read the whole fucking book, you know, he's like, stop cussing. You know? <laughs> and then, you know, I just kept doing that. Jobs, like, this is crazy. This is awesome. And it's just so engrossing. It just, it's easy. It's like butter. Um, Harry Potter's funny. Cause, uh, um, I, like I said, when I was younger, I was like really, really into reading and Harry Potter came out and my mom was like, you should, uh, you should read Harry Potter. <laughs> you should read this Harry Potter book. I hear it's really good. I hear young people like it. Like, I don't like wizards. You're right. <laughs> I'm into Star Wars. I like space wizards. I like space wizards, ma'am. And, and like my mom, to her credit, was like, well, honey, I hear it's really good. Why don't you give it a try? Why don't you give it a try? We'll go to a little professor's bookstore and we'll, why don't you give it a try? And I'm like, oh, man, man. whatever, ma'am. Fine. Get off my back. That's what I sounded like when I was young. <laughs> you sounded like the, the fish monster from Shape of Water. <laughs> yeah, just like when you were a kid. 12 packs a day. <laughs> um, but no, like she, she bought the, I think the second book had already been out. She bought both for me. And she's like, just, just give it a try. Here's really good. I'm like, okay, fine. And, you know, that book hooked me. The first book hooked me immediately. Like Harry Potter, like, like very early on, it was like, oh, well, how does he, is he going to live under the stairs forever? <laughs> you know? And, you know, that, you know, obviously the rest is history. Harry Potter is like very successful and everyone really likes it. I mean, I'm not like a super fan like you are, Andy, but like I really enjoyed my time with those books. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the books a lot more than the movies. But I mean, like, and that's the thing, like 
they're just really well, like you mentioned, they're really well done books. They're really engrossing. Yeah, I mean, you're just falling into that world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I brought up Game of Thrones, other than it being probably the the single most important adaptation to me because of what the show had to live up to and how important and canonical that story is to me and those characters are. Um, Tyrion was my dad's favorite, you know what I mean? Just cause he's smart. And, um, but he's anyway, but the reason I wanted to bring it up was because we were talking about cloud Atlas and I'm like, don't you think though the same thing kind of occurs with that? I mean, people can follow the game of Thrones show. Um, but at the risk of sounding like a douchebag again, you can't hold a candle to having read the books first and you're just immediate understanding of the environment and what's sure. going on plot wise and um, keeping track of characters like Carissa perfectly followed the show, watching it with me and was like, Hey, da, 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 you know, I wonder what's going to happen with this. But occasionally she's like, who's that fucking guy? You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, that's... What do you mean? That's Euron. That's <laughs> Randall of House Tarly. That's fucking Sam's day. You know what I mean? And I'm like, right. I know all this because I've set that's, reading lineage maps for, you know, right. hours Gregor and hours. That's Gregor Clegane. Sure, they recast him three times, but that's who he is. Yeah, that's the mountain <laughs> that rides. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yes, I, I, I do get, get what you're saying there. Uh there's also the virtue of it being an ongoing series versus trying to exactly. The and the only reason it's that big of a step different is because of the medium that they chose. Well, that, um, and also like cloud Atlas specifically is like trying to tell six completely different stories at once, which is unique already literature wise. And then adapting that, into film where you're already in a time constraint. They, the cards are stacked against the Wachowskis, that's for sure. The book is almost always better. Yeah. I only have a couple of examples. Only one's coming to mind. We already mentioned Lord of the Rings, which is and Tolkien's the father of everything that we love in fantasy. I'm not going to knock him and get a bunch of angry emails, but I just don't. Th- I think that series of books will be hard to get published today with the attention span that people have and Mm-hmm. He was more of a world builder than a prose writer, in my opinion. Um, and almost all of like the literature books that I love aren't the greatest movies, uh, like Mysteries of Pittsburgh. Michael Chabon's my favorite author. And, you know that those kinds of movies, uh, Running with Scissors, uh, the memoir that I love, it, they just don't translate well to the film medium, in my opinion. Uh, but I got one that does. One of the best books of all time, and one of the best movies of all time. Can either of you guess? One of the best books of all time. One of the best movies of all time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think 1960s. Godfather. Good exa- Good one, but that no. Is a good guess. I never read the Mario Puzo books, honestly. Uh, How to Kill a Mockingbird? No. Oh, Boo Radley. <laughs> <laughs> one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ken Kesey. And then, of course, the Jack Nicholson film. They're both phenomenon. For a second, I thought. Uh, and Flurry Cuckoo's Nest is one of my favorite books. It, I think it's just To Kill a Mockingbird. How to Kill is just like a really. Oh, shit. I'm, like sick. I outed myself. Killing Mockingbirds <laughs> for dummies. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, knew who, I knew who Boo Radley was. I that, you credit. fucking did, buddy. Calpurnia. <laughs> Have you seen uh, One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest, Steve? 
maybe is that going to be on so okay Ooh. listeners we've got if this I new have, i don't remember much about it we've got this new segment planned for you i don't know if we were on air when we were riffing about it we last time we were not so we're gonna call it something <laughs> we're gonna call it the blind spot which i didn't want to say out loud because it reminds me of that sandra bullock movie <laughs> That's right. oh, i hate that movie. we should fucking call it that still just because the, blind, the spot. blind spot can the tag just be like sandra bullock from that movie just random lines yes, like, yeah throw sure. the football like or whatever she says <laughs> and so we're gonna make me money we're gonna spend time and effort watching canonical films uh that we have somehow never seen despite supposedly loving films and talk about it on air with you guys as its own segment within each show, kind of like crossing streams and check the gate and stuff like that. So we're excited about that. Um, and we're not going to have any spoiler alerts, but I have not seen some biggins like same big, I, same. I have never seen what is supposedly the greatest film of all time. I've never seen it. You've never seen gross point blank. That's what I'm saying. Bro. You've never seen Welcome to Mooseport? Andy, I'm surprised you didn't mention any Nick Hornby adaptations. Yeah, well, well when you said, I, I thought, uh, when you said that you, uh, what, when you were, I'm what sorry, the fuck I'm did I say, Andy? Circling. I'm having a stroke on it. <laughs> when, you, when you were t- starting to talk about One Player of the Cuckoo's Nest and you said, uh, what is one of the best books and adaptations? I immediately thought of my favorite book, which is also a fantastic adaptation, which is uh, High Fidelity. Um, the uh, movie with Jack Black and John Cusack, that movie fucking rules. Now, I actually have not that seen... That movie's been... A, that book's been adapted twice. I've never seen the TV show, and uh, and it's not quite big enough for it to be a blind spot, for, but for me, it kind of is with how much I love High Fidelity. Um, I think it got canceled after season one. Yeah, and super, super bummer, because I heard it was really good, just nobody watched it. Including you, Andy. Right, yeah. You I, failed. I, failed. <laughs> uh, but also, like, he famously adapted... Um, uh, oh shit! What's it called? Wild. Um, the Cheryl Strayed book, Emil Hirsch film. The, uh, no, Cheryl Strayed, Wild. Uh, Reese I, Witherspoon. I love that film. It's wild, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nick Hornby wrote the adaptation based off of the book. Oh, he wrote the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I love that fucking movie. Um, Go Reese Witherspoon. And so I actually uh, took a class that was almost entirely dedicated to that book and that adaptation. And it was really interesting how some some scenes in the book were completely condensed down into this like little montage in the film and other things and that were almost non-existent in the book were ex- expanded, expanded upon, upon yeah. in, in the adaptation uh, just by virtue of pacing for film and uh, making these stylistic choices. And, you know, there are kind of narrative threads that you kind of have to let go by the wayside when you are narrowing down for a film and he did a fantastic job. If you were to read the book, it's called wild, right? By Cheryl Strayed. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, absolutely wonderful adaptation, but yeah, um, Nick, I Horn- think Nick Hornby's some a boss. people's material just lend better. And maybe Nick Hornby is a good example because he obviously ended up writing for film. Uh, I think Neil Gaiman is an example of someone's whose material just translates beautifully. I mean, you got the uh, Coraline, uh, good omens. Um, oh man, good omens and Coraline are both great. They're so wonderful. Um, the so, uh, American God show is really good. Are we doing graphic novels? Is that a thing? I, I was going to say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it says novel. Um, <laughs> I, got a, so, I got a good one for adaptations, but God. 
so my favorite graphic novel of all time, if we're doing graphic novels, my favorite graphic novel of all time is Watchmen. Watchmen. Yeah. Watchmen. I, you know, I adored that. I even like the movie. I'll just say it real quietly. Um, I like the movie too, for the most part. It's kind of um, got the fight club thing, but opposite with the ending. But so it's Zack Snyder, Watchmen. Um, I feel like it's, it's, it's pretty faithful for the most part, like almost to its detriment. Like that's a, that's an example of a movie that's so faithful to the source material. Um, that it maybe doesn't lend itself as best as it could have to the medium of film. You know, it, it and it's, it's very faithful to the source material, except for the ending. It changes the ending right. in a very big way. However, I think the ending in the movie is better than the ending in the graphic. It's because novel. it's less insane. Well, no, it, it, it makes part of it. So I, I agree. I, I think that the concept, can uh, we do spoilers for Watchmen? Sure. I mean, it's a spoilers for Watchmen. It's an old ass comic book. Um, the spoilers of Watchmen is uh, essentially a, one of the characters reveals that he's the bad guy and he teleports a giant telepathic squid to New York City and it immediately dies on purpose because when it dies, it's telepathy kind of like creates this psychic explosion that basically kills everybody in New York City all at once. And he does this because it unites the the Cold War f- factions mm-hmm. into uniting believing that there is an existential threat from not of this earth so all the governments russia and the united states in particular you know you know call off the cold war and all the the nuclear holocaust you know threat is uh, uh, deleted because everyone's uniting against this common enemy of the perceived alien even though th- there really is one he fabricates this mm-hmm. hoax and the heroes who were trying to stop him realize oh shit we didn't stop him and also he's kind of right to like lie about this so that the peace is held. And so it's just kind of like a bummer ending, right? Mm-hmm. In the movie, they change it to where there's no giant squid. He essentially frames the murder of all of New York on Dr. Manhattan. Now in the ending of both comic book and movie, Dr. Manhattan decides to leave earth and go lit and go start life somewhere else in the comic book. He just kind of leaves earth because he's like, Hey, uh, silk specter, made up with her dad who is a piece of shit man life is great and so he just leaves and is kind of like wow that's just dr manhattan being aloof which dr manhattan does but in the movie it gives him a real reason to leave because not only does he have that that epiphany with man life is great but also like the world wants to kill him now because they think right he demolished a city so it, it makes more sense for that character to leave I think visually the comic, comic book's better because in the comic book, it's just like, what, four or five straight pages of just dead bodies all over New York. Yeah, and it's a, it is a really powerful visual. And I understand why people like that ending more because it's an incredibly powerful visual. But I think thematically and storyline-wise, the movie does it better. The other thing that I think the movie does an incredible, like, because it's, it's an okay movie, but it does some really cool things is there's this major backstory in Watchmen with, you know, what were the original Watchmen called from the 40s? It was like the... Minutemen. Uh, Minutemen, Minutemen yeah. yeah. There's this whole backstory, the Minutemen and how they laid the groundwork for how you know vigilantes work in this world. And they do this really beautiful opening in the movie where it's like a 10-minute long opening scene of no dialogue, but it's like slow-mo shots of the Minutemen and kind of catching you up visually to like what the superhero world is into the 80s. And I think it's really well done. Awesome. Yeah. And it's set to a Bob Dylan song, The Times They Are Changing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's probably the best thing Zack Snyder's ever made is the first 10 minutes of Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> I 
that's awesome. <laughs> I think it suffers from uh, back then comic book movies. They didn't really know how to adapt them. And they were really obsessed with like hearkening back to the page um, to like fan, some kind of weird fan service. I'm thinking of like back to like Ang Lee's Hulk yeah, where you yeah. like you literally had the comic, comic frames. Panels, yeah. And at the time when we're in theaters and we're probably 14 or whatever, we're like. Oh, wow. Cool, man. Comic book is a but movie. Watching it now, you're like, dude, stop. It's a movie, man. Now, yeah. This is the movie version, bro. Like, we'll go read the book. I don't know. Bro. We're talking to Ang Lee like that. But. Yo, bro. <laughs> Fuck's wrong with you, Make Ang more Brokeback Mountain, bro. <laughs> Did he do Brokeback Mountain? Yes. Yeah. What? Is <laughs> that a weird what? resume? And he did the page thing. Uh, and he also did. did that weird young Will Smith movie that came out a couple years ago. After Gemini Man. Oh, Gemini Man. <laughs> Gemini Man. <laughs> Gemini Cricket Man. Uh, but hey, listener, if you're like, hey, they're talking about, I thought this was books. Comic books ain't books. I'm just saying, Watchmen is the only comic or graphic novel to make Times 100 best books of all time. So Yeah, you know, how about that? You're going to call it. It's really Who's weird. Who's your culture swine now? How many <laughs> movies are based on comic books nowadays without me knowing? Or like shows, movies? Lucifer. Yeah. The show that I was Lucifer. watching. Lucifer. Uh, the Old Guard, that wonderful movie Andy never saw. The his, Netflix original. History of Violence, that uh, Viggo Mortensen. That's a graphic novel? Yeah, that was a graphic novel. See what novel. I'm saying? That's fucking insane. Almost, well, when we started this topic idea, I talk, called Andy. Andy, I think I don't know if you were there or not, Steve. And I was like, everything's adapted pretty much, you know. I mean, that's why there's its own category in the Oscars: best original screenplay and best. Adapt, you know, they're, they're separate they things. They fucking did it. <laughs> they came up with something original. <laughs> um, especially nowadays, everybody's pulling from the, the treasure trove of love that is comic books, and there's so many great stories that you know it has been like a counterculture for us. And they're like, oh my god, this is dope, and. All these like 48 year old nerds are like, I told you. I don't know why they sound ancient. <laughs> it's been a rough four years. They sound like the professor from Futurama in 40. Good news, everyone. They're adapting Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> Shut up and take my money. Uh, wow, it's 15 years older than me. <laughs> They're adapting comic books. <laughs> you can tell I'm still young I, at heart. I can't wait to go watch it at the Nickelodeon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait to see this moving picture. Ageism is funny. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But novelizations, adapt, adaptations. All think, that stuff. I think this was a good conversation, guys. It was wonderful. Again, we failed miserably at creating creating an episode of a normal length. <laughs> We're hey, always a feature film episode podcast. Like you said, sometimes when you're reading a book, you get locked in. This we were true. having this conversation, and we got locked in. I just really enjoy talking to you guys and our listeners. How about that? Yeah. And it's worth the time spent. I mean, it's Even right. if I miss an hour or two of sleep, who cares? Who cares, damn it? You'll sleep when you're dead. If you want to contribute to this conversation, please do. You can email us anytime. We love reading them. Streamingthingspod at gmail.com is the best way to reach us. You can follow me on Twitter at CMichaelWrites, as in what Shakespeare does. Steve is SteveMay13. And Andy is... At Andy Most Days. Next week, tune in. We'll be covering WandaVision after the WandaVision season finale drops. One division, one division. <laughs> <laughs>